Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome back to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson, and my special guest today, Liz Abram. Have I got that right? You have got that right. Hello. <laughs> We've just been laughing about how you pronounce Liz's last name. So we had, I had to do it in a Lancashire accent, even though that was probably more Yorkshire. Liz. Liz is uh, our special guest today. She's actually doing some work with us at T2 in an up-and-coming masterclass around resilience. Liz is a colleague and a friend of Spencer Lockers. And there, I did you first meet on the show of SAS yeah, Who Dares Wins? The first time I met Spencer was in that location in South Wales when we did the first series. Right, but prior to SAS Who Dares Wins, you didn't know Spencer? I didn't actually know him. We have a mutual friend. Right. Um, and obviously, it's one of those things where our paths might have crossed at any time, but but didn't. Right. At the time when he was serving uh, in the unit that I was affiliated with, you know, through being a reservist uh, at the time, um, I was also, I think, serving... Well, my husband was serving out in Germany, so I didn't make it over very often. So just give me, uh, correct me if I've got this wrong, and this is the moment I think I should have done some more research. Mm-hmm. However, you've, yeah, on your LinkedIn, it's very private. So did you serve, was you ex-military? Yeah. Yeah, so what did you, what, what was your, I what was force? A, I was an RAF officer. RAF? Yeah, education officer. And I, um, I taught German and Spanish amongst other things. I, I, but one of the main problems is, Education officer was actually admin education specialist. Now, my admin is is not brilliant. In fact, I'm a bit of an admin vortex, to be fair. Are you really? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I can organise and I can plan and I can execute pretty well. But admin, no, it's not my thing. Now, one of the things I've noticed already, Liz, is you are a real character and a personality. I've only met you this morning, but you're, you've got such a character, but you're very softly spoken. And I want mm. people to hear you. So if you can, just you make, want me to just project. Just project. Absolutely. Okay. So Liz is on the show, SAS Who Dares Wins. Yes. Um, as a resistance to interrogation inter- instructor. Yeah. And it's the part of the show as we've discussed off off air where you know the recruits have been through hell and back for a number of days. Yeah. Bless and, them. and then are. and then they come Absolutely. to you. Yeah. And you, Spencer, and the team. Uh, put them through a really, really tough 24, yeah. 48 hours to try and break them? Mm, well, actually, breaking them is not what we're about. If you have a real-life prisoner in front of you, then maybe breaking is okay. Yeah. If you've got a student in front of you, yeah. then you don't. You pull back. Yeah. Every time it looks like they're about to quiver and break, you pull back and you try a different angle because you're about training them so that they can access if it ever happens to them again or anything similar ever happens to them again, they can have developed their own in-house strategy in their head of how to cope. So you don't break anybody. But you take Um, them to the potential point. You take them to a breaking point, definitely. And then you pull back. And I'd like to think with some degree of skill and alacrity, (laughs) (laughs) you you then point them in a slightly different direction, have another pop from a different angle and see how they cope with that. Love yeah. it, because I you're known on the show. I mean, you, you said you was the token bird. I would like to say you're the <laughs> only woman in the interrogation <laughs> team. But yeah. you, um, you're you known for your 
one minute you're very nice and yeah. you're the mother figure and yeah. you're very soft-spoken and personable yeah. and the next minute your eyeballs access, are out and you're screaming at right. somebody. I access the Harridan. <laughs> it's that, it's the memory of uh, of getting the kids ready for school at sort of eight o'clock in the morning when they're still <laughs> messing about and you have to access your, your, your inner fishwife and go and go for it. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing on my own um, experiences but it is hard work actually that yeah because you, you've got to come up with a lot of energy like a fireball all of yeah. a sudden and you've got to access something deep within yeah absolutely yeah so you you are ex-military you was um, RAF and yeah. through that therefore you got introduced to become to, to take part on a course to become a yeah. resistance to interrogation well, instructor like many things it happened in the bar yeah of course yeah I was approached by a, 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 a chap who worked at some top secret bunker somewhere in Germany <laughs> and and I didn't know what he did and he was just about to go head back to the UK to form the defence debriefing team and he came up to me in the bar and the officers mess one night and he said uh, and he knew I could talk the hind leg off a donkey <laughs> and he knew I was a linguist and he said would you like to learn Serbo-Croat and become an interrogator well wow <laughs> rude not to isn't it really yeah. and I said yes please and so that's what I did and I went Lovely. back and I was one of the founders of you know um, founder members of, of the defence debriefing team which has probably changed an enormous amount since then but back in oh gosh I can't even remember what year it was now it would yeah. have been about 91, 92 yeah early 90s yeah. yeah I went back and I did, I was on active service in the UK which is unusual um, in, in civilian clothing talking to people that had come out of theatres of interest. Mm. Um, but when you debrief somebody, that was defined at the time as a systematic extraction of information from a willing subject as opposed to interrogation, which was defined as the systematic extraction of information of from an unwilling, unwilling subject. Yeah. But actually, you can always, if with a, bit, with a degree of, of skill and rapport, get a lot more out of somebody than they thought that they knew or that maybe they were willing to give you in the first place. So cool. you draw on on all sorts of rapport building skills, relationship building skills. And I think what happened during that time in particular is that I became quite good at reading people. Yeah. Well, let me move, push it on to that because, um, you know, I, I I think you've got uh, you've got some letters after your name on LinkedIn, and it's some yep. it's some Society of Psychiatry. Is that right? Uh, it's the National Council of Psychotherapists. Which Psychotherapists. I, yeah, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm a coach. Yeah, but it's the NCP that endorse me uh, for my um, professional accreditation. Right, and so that I'm fully bummed up and insured as a coach. As However, a, yeah. you've got a whole host of life skills behind that, I, which has built your you know, like myself, you know. There's a number of different environments you've been exposed to, yeah. like the military, yeah. you know, like consulting industries, et cetera, yeah. which there you build up, build up a multitude of skills yeah. to be able to apply. So you're into your psychology, the human element of yeah, performance I and am. how people think, feel, act and behave. Absolutely. Yeah. And the idea of neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, yeah. fascinates me, although it took me a while, I must admit, when I was training to get my head around what it was. But NLP just really means um, what you're, what, how you talk to yourself. Hmm. The words you use, the language you use to uh, to when you're thinking to yourself, and and you can with a bit of jiggery pokery reframe how you're feeling about something, yeah. and uh, and get a much better result. As a, you know, and I've trained in NLP as well, Liz, and my sort of take on it. I mean, as well as some of the other stuff we do here at T2, what my take on NLP was, I've took 
I think I've took 20, 25% of NLP aware that I really believe in and I practice. And I've left some of it that I think then crosses into potentially not being authentic enough and you're just constantly morphing and and second guessing everything. I don't play that game at all. Yeah. Likewise, as a coach as well, sometimes people ask you a question now. A really coachy coach will then answer every question that the client comes up with with another blooming question. Yeah. Well, that infuriates the life out of me. It if does I was me. the coachy, I'd be thinking, oh, would you just answer the flaming question? Yeah, I've come here yeah. for your yes. opinion. You know, so, I, I try and cleverly couch it with a, well, I found that other people have done X, Y, and Z and got this result. Yes. It saves about two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a bit of an action coach yeah. in, in, or a practical coach in the way I would say I'm not one of those coaches. And it's an important part of coaching is listening. Listening is an incredibly important part, mm. as is acknowledgement sometimes without an answer. It's just the fact that th- there's a safe environment to offload mm. and an, someone's Absolutely. there to acknowledge without judge. Right Now, that's a really important point. But I think there's only so much of that that can go on. Coach, great coaches will then find the right spots to offer insight and challenge or give practical guidance. And I think as long as you find the balance, that's really, really Yeah, coaching for me is several things. It's it's a big, safe pair of hands. So at the moment that you've built rapport with your coachee, the coachee feels probably unconsciously, actually, that they can just tell you everything. And it's not about telling me everything. It's not that at all. However, sometimes when a coachee is talking to you, it's the first time they've heard themselves speak Mm. about a certain thing and then when also with coaching for me yeah your big pair of ears but your big pair of ears actually is more than that not only are you listening hard with your ears you're reading somebody's intention you're reading the language that they're using you're very much reading the energy that they're using or that is affecting them as they're telling you their story or telling you their woe or whatever it is they're stuck with and and your mirror matching and pacing a little bit with energy levels as well as the pitch of your voice with your non-verbal cues as well to get that coachee into a space where they start to feel resilient and that they can access their own superpower and accessing your own superpower to me is what resilience actually is. Yeah, love it, love it. So let's move it on to that. There's three things I wanted to sort of talk to you about, Liz. Um, so, so being on the show is only one thing you've done in your life. You, as you say, you're ex-military, you're a performance coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being on the show, for example, of SAS Who Dares Wins, a lot of it is about resilience, testing for resilience, yeah. putting pressure on human beings in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also testing for the third point being who has the potential leadership skills in here to not Absolutely. only excel themselves but to you know, to influence others as well. So let's break them three down. Let's start with resilience. How would you describe resilience? Because we hear it banded around a lot. Mm. Um, it's very much tied into to, to, to mental health and, and having positive mental health these days. But um, I've got a bit of a beam my bonnet about resilience and I'm challenging people to put the ownership back on us, mm. right? We've got to take some control back over the way we interpret the stress response, etc. cetera. Mm. But what's, your, what's your initial view on resilience? Resilience is the realisation that not only do you have your own superpower, but you can actually access it. And it's keeping the channels open when things aren't going well. So you're saying straight away there, we can control this thing if we practice, if we bring 
the unconscious into the conscious yeah. and we start thinking about how we think and what we believe massively influences yeah. our resilience levels. It's about learning how to turn your volume knobs down on, yeah. on certain aspects yeah. that are going on around you. Even certain aspects of your own personality trait, which might be sort of, you might be prone to negative, you know, if you, you're thrown into what I've discovered is called your shadow self. Yes, um, yes. If you're thrown into that, you can still consciously go, right, I'm not going to stay here. Mm. Let me turn the volume knob down on that. And um, let's focus on, on on the job in hand here. Yeah. What do I need to do to get through the next five minutes? Yes. Do I need to be afraid of anything? Am I about to lose my life? Yes or no? Hmm. No? Right. Okay. Work do I need back to, from there. Yeah. Yeah. What Work do I – I'm a big fan of, Liz. What do I control in the here and now? Absolutely. Yeah. That can make a difference to what I'm worried about or anxious about. So yeah. what, what can I control here? What do I not control, which is what we call a hypothetical worry? Yeah. And, and they're the ones that kill us. The hypothetical worries are the ones that oh, yeah. really, really test us because when we're focused on things we can't control, that mm. we perceive may happen in the future, yeah. that that tends to really test our resilience. Yeah, and I think a little bit of bollocks to that goes yeah. a long way, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. it's, it's having that um, confidence to be able to feel that. Yeah. At the time, but that can be learned and developed. And I think also, I'm in a lucky position now that I'm almost at the dizzy age of 53. And I think some of it does come with age as well. Yeah. Because you realize, hang on, I've got this far and I haven't died. (laughs) Yeah. And um, And I have coped with numerous situations. And yeah, yeah, let's put some perspective onto it and let's bring it back to the present. It is about perspective. Perspective is is a, a word that we use a lot, but I think it's little understood particularly in the heat of the moment, that you can control the perspective that you have on any situation by just a little bit of um, stepping back from a situation and having a right good look from maybe another person's shoes, yeah. even looking at trying to look at yourself from in a meta perspective, yeah. as in look at watch yourself as you're, as you're doing something, hear yourself as you're saying something. Play it back. Play it back play, to yourself. Play it back the way you reacted yeah. in the office today mm. um, when somebody was crunching crisps loudly at the other end of the desk. Yeah. Not you. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave eats crisps. Dave and, he's, he's and crisp it, monster, All, all it, it takes is Dave and a pack of crisps yeah. and my resilience is yeah. tested. My mind used to be <laughs> tested by my son. My son had a monster munch habit and it stank <laughs> and it's that smell. The sense of smell actually is really powerful and we underestimate it, don't we? But that smell of flaming monster munch. God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, I don't know the little people, little habits and ticks that people have. Then sometimes you just have to sit with it and find a way in your head to just work. So what we're it. saying, Les, is the key to resilience is stay away from people who crunch crisps yeah. or eat flaming monster munch. Monster munches, <laughs> the pickled onion ones. Crikey! Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, so moving moving it on a little bit. Um, one of the things we do here at T2 and that we're trying to instill in any program that we work with, with leaders or employees, people of all walks of life is we're always going to be exposed to what we call pressure in life. That that primarily comes when we do our psychology piece from our fight or flight. We're an animal and survival is our number one instinct. Self-preservation is always going to be our number one innate response of the limbic system. Spence talks about the limbic system he all the time. He likes the limbic system. Taught him everything he knew about the limbic system. Yes. So, so because we're built on survival, 
we're always going to find certain situations pressurizing when we feel under threat. And it's not always life and death. In fact, in the modern day world, Liz, very few things are life or death. So how does that survival instinct manifest in the modern day world? Well, it manifests when somebody puts something on social media and we believe it's aimed at us. It manifests when somebody questions your project or challenges your team in the workplace or undermines your authority or or, um, gives you constructive criticism in front of a group. This is where pressure builds for us in the modern day world. Um, You've obviously been in environments where you're purposely putting people under pressure to see, to build that level of resilience and to condition them the power of repetition. So what the question is this, Liz, what do you observe in those? Let's stick let's stick on the show for a second. What do you mm-hmm. observe in those recruits who tend to deal with pressure better than the ones who don't? Is there anything you pick up? Is there any commonalities? Yeah. It's when people have learned to rather than react, to respond in a measured way. So they freeze. Some, they pause. Yeah, pause, I would say, rather than freeze, yeah. Because yeah. freeze is a different response, oh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah freeze is like, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. to do. Whereas That's a pause is, fight, fight. I'm thinking. Exactly. I'm thinking yeah. about this response or yeah. what this, yeah. Yeah. Because when you think about it, people do like to put others under pressure for, a you know, a, a snappy response yeah. or, or what have you. And um, I think learning to just take a little step back and a breath and compose yourself well, it pays huge dividends, mm. I reckon. Yeah. And it also helps you to not feel so rushed. Also, remembering that this took a long time for me to learn, but no is a complete sentence. Mm. And you don't have to say it in aggressive fashion. Neither do you have to apologize for a no. Yeah. And that is something that takes a lot of practice, but is a really good skill to learn. It takes the pressure off you. Otherwise, you end up in a position sometimes where you spread yourself much too, you spread your marmite too thin for your toast. Well, most people, when they get put under pressure to make a decision by somebody else, they'll, they'll because of human nature and feelings, they'll probably say something like this. Even if they already know in their mind they can't commit to it or it's a no, they'll say, let me think about it and get back to you. Mm. But then that's snowballing more pressure because there's inevitably going yeah. to be a follow-up or a chaser yeah. or, you know. Yeah. So sometimes, like you say, just pausing, but then I'm saying, being be comfortable and do saying, that. do you know what, I can't this month or I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Relieves that pressure straight yeah. away. And, and everybody knows where they stand and they might be a little crestfallen, but why should anybody put you under undue pressure? I say undue pressure. I mean, it might be that the pressure is your job, in which case you're going to have more difficulty saying no, aren't you? But So the recruits on the show who tend to get through your fears the best are the ones who don't just blurt out the first response that comes into the mind and all of a sudden they're getting themselves in a cycle of what they do is they tend to sit and and pause, try to engage that logical brain and... Respond accordingly. Yeah. And also the ones that are successful manage also to um, plug themselves back into feeling a little bit more like themselves rather than just reacting in the heat of the moment. And when you, back to the resilience thing, plugging back into your superpower. Yeah. Timing and a deep breath is all part of that, isn't it? Yeah. Just remember who you are. Just remember what, what you're about. And what you stand for, and if you need to, in a life and death scenario, 
plug into the stuff that you're confident with. Mm. Where are you confident? Where can you, can I control this situation at all? Yeah, I can. I'm the one that's got the mic here. I'm the one that's that's been asked to speak. Therefore, I can, if I'm clever, and take my time, be in control of the airwaves here. And if I'm in control of the airwaves, then the interrogator's not asking me a question. That's a really good point because when we do a lot of coaching on public speaking, we do it ourselves and we do it, I think, very well. Mm. So we get asked to coach other people. And one of the things, the biggest fear globally across 85 countries in a survey conducted, the biggest five fears globally was five was death mm. or illness. Four was like, an, you know, heights or, I think it was heights. Three was open water or closed spaces. Mm. Two was an array of insects like spiders, bees, creepy crawlies, snakes. I thought you said raving sex then. So <laughs> what was that? Well, no, that definitely no? wasn't in the top five. No? What did you say about that? Number two was a, an array of insects. Oh, array of insects. Not, not raving, raving sex. sex. <laughs> that would be cool, though, if that, was the, if, that was the, if that was the second top fear. An array of insects like spiders, bees, oh, right. wasps, snakes. Yeah. Do you know what the number one was? No, I public speaking. Oh, really? Yeah. More people would rather die than speak in public. But the point is, is because when people speak in public, they, they get that fight or flight. Yeah. They fear judgment. What if I mess up? What if this goes wrong? What if you don't know what you're talking about? And then our, our heart rate increases, our cortisol floods our brain, etc. So... You know, it, but what you've just said makes sense because when we teach public speaking, we say you're going to get these emotions and feelings. And believe me, 15 years on, I still get them. Mm. But the way I interpret them now is I know my content. Mm. I, I'm i in control up here mm. of what is said. Mm. I'm transmitting. Mm. And I've got a healthy level of cortisol that says this is important, Martin, switch on. So I harness yeah. it as adrenaline Quite. and not as That's a good anxiety. word, harness. Mm. Harnessing is great. Harness the emotion yes. into something positive rather than succumb into it yeah. as, a, as a threat. Harness and channel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that then puts you in what we call is a challenge state mindset. I'm aware of consequence. Yeah. I'm aware of what might go wrong. And I understand why I'm feeling the way I am. Yeah. But you know what? I'm prepared and I'm ready to smash this. Yeah. And that's where I, I give... The, I think I give the best performances and the best talks and the best sessions when I'm on the edge. Yeah. When I'm there. Because the level of nerves are good. It means something to me. I know it's a big yeah. audience. I know it's important, mm. but I'm ready. Yeah. I gave one at um, Hull City Hall recently. It was a 1,000 people for a graduation ceremony mm. for, a, for a college. And even for me, I sat there at the front in my gown. So they gowned yeah. me up. Oh, my. 1,000 people. Oh, right. And even I was, I had that that Ooh. moment where it was That's like, doing yeah. yeah, but you've just got to harness it. Yes. And and I, I am a believer in wrestling back control. We have the power to do that. Yeah. We do. Now, I was just about to say something then, and this might just have gone out of my head. What was I going to say? I have that oh, yeah. I have that habit, Liz, of going on yeah. two minutes too long so you forget your point. Oh, I've got Yeah, I know. I'm back in the room. Hang on. I've got it. Now, what I was going to say was, along those lines as well, when you're delivering something and or you're nervous or you're in that scenario, like you were, we're going back to the... Um, interrogation thing um wanting to be perfect or to give a per perfect performance is also or it can be tantamount to a dismal failure or a feeling of dismal failure because don't aim for perfect don't ever aim for, for perfection it's i always describe it as um you know when you've got a dog whistle you can get these whistles for dogs that no human can hear but a dog can hear it yeah the most people that I get 
in my coaching practice are aiming for perfection and they've got themselves into a tizzy. And I, one of my first rules of life is just loosen your knicker elastic just a little <laughs> bit because you don't need to be perfect. Only you know when you're not 100% perfect. So why don't you just slack off a little bit What and, and give it, I don't know, 95% for argument's sake. You will be aware that you've not given it that extra five, but that extra 5% is... Um, how would you call it? Improportionate effort and improportionate time is spent on getting that five percent that only you will notice. So give it up, loosen your knicker elastic, and what you'll gain is a little bit of flexibility, flexibility, and a little bit of humour back in whatever you're doing. I love it, Liz. Do you know what this ties in with? We, you, you've done your print with us today, you yeah. know, and you've understood your motivators. There's a certain motivator called perfect, correct, and right. So number one, uh, and these are the people who are perfectionists, yeah. and it's a self-perpetuating cycle because they endeavour to be perfect. They sometimes produce results me and you could only dream of producing, yeah. even at ninety-five percent, right? Yeah. But what they do is instead of being happy with it, mm. they go, "But it could have been better." Oh, yeah. So, so they never fully feel fulfilled. Yes. And then in that in that bid for perfection, which they're never going to reach, they actually lose confidence. I'm quite an advocate, if you don't mind me. I don't know whether I'm it, allowed Liz. to F and Jeff. Of course you are. I'm, I'm notorious for it. Fuck it, it'll do. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. It, 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 does it do the job? Is everybody happy with what I've done? And does it lead somewhere else? Usually I like that as well. Mm. Does it give you a chance to lead off from? Can you step off from what you've just produced? Well, do you know what? One of my biggest influences on on since when I started this business was a guy called Guy Kawasaki. If you have never checked him out, he's written a great book called Enchantment, and he was the chief evangelist of Apple for Steve Jobs. So what he was tasked with doing is getting the brand of Apple out there. And um, when they first built the Macintosh, um, before Apple became the global entity that they are, when they first built the Macintosh, Steve Jobs was a bit of a perfectionist and he didn't want to ship it Mm. until everything was right. Mm. And Guy Kawasaki was really influential in saying, no, 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 we've got to ship it. We've got to ship it as it is. It will evolve and it will get better and our customers will feed back. But we will be waiting forever Mm. if we're waiting for the iPhone that came out 20 years later. And actually stepping off from each step of that, each production step, is actually nowadays where they make the money, I mm. suppose, as well. So, so they know that you launch Macintosh 1.0, yeah. you're going to launch, you know, 1.5 in 18 mm. months and you and your customers are going to stay loyal and, and that's mm. how they've built their business. Yeah. But it was the great tip that of don't ever wait for it, just ship it when it feels right mm. and learn and evolve from it. And I've always been like that with the products and services we've done here at T2. Yeah. You know, look at some of our training session and sessions and some of our content. It's evolved massively since day one, but I was still proud of it on day one. Yeah. It's just come on. Yeah, yeah. So don't wait for perfection. I think it's no. a great point, Liz, that too many of us sometimes worry about judgment and failure so yeah. much that we insist on it has to, everything has to be perfect. It absolutely stunts your growth and it hampers your performance yeah. big time, I think, because it doesn't allow you to flow. Mm. Yeah. I think flow is where it's at. Yeah. As is it, you know, evolution is is a given because it is just happening. Every everything is evolving and either degenerating if it stands still or improving if you're on it. And that's another thing to remember. It's like you're talking my language. I've got a different slight saying to that. I always say to people, you are either growing or you're dying. 
There's yeah. no middle ground. No. You're either just experimenting and evolving and pushing, going forward and focusing on what you want to do, yeah. or you're trying to hold the middle ground, but by yeah. inevitably, you, as a result, you're dying. And even when it looks like you're standing still, you're not necessarily stuck either. Sometimes you need to appear to be in yeah. one place, but your mind will be doing something else. Mm. Your mind will be... Your mind will be processing things, evaluating things, and uh, and you know, planning. Mm, absolutely, give yourself that time. Yeah. So, with a couple of minutes left, Liz, is there just complete open forum for the mm. end? Um, and we haven't got a couple of minutes left. What in your coaching sessions, when you work with people on performance, what if there was one thing, one rule you live by, or one thing you would offer advice on that could make a massive difference? I know this is a tough question, but what would it be? Embrace your imperfections. Loosen your knicker elastic. Yeah, love Don't it. be afraid of yourself. Mm. Um, gosh. Have a bit more fun. Yeah, you're here for enjoying yourself as, as far more, I think, than you realise. Yeah. You're not put here just to be, to work hard and then drop down dead. Yeah. Go and live. Yeah. So one of mine is being present. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I've always been one because my brain works at a hundred mile an hour or I'm constantly having to do something. Or even if I'm at home bored, I'm cleaning the sideboards or I'm going to the garage. Or, and my wife sometimes says to me, it's okay to do nothing. Just be present. Just watch yeah. the kids. Yeah. Look out of the window. Yeah. And and there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Because yeah. with de technology, we're, we're off. And the, and the other, the last thing I want to say is, don't underestimate how good it is to get into the habit of going for a walk in nature in nature preferably yeah absolutely but get get your get your um headphones on if, if you want some music get a, a playlist that you feel groovy walking to and go and do that because it it's it's massively impactful on your mental health love it love it and i think we're going to finish there liz i could talk to you all day long but Liz Abram... You never asked me what my favourite colour was or anything. I know, but we've got, I've got 30 minutes because I keep them short and sharp. Okay. But listen, we'll get you back on another one. Liz Brilliant. Abram, that was fascinating. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast.